Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering injustice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome to another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty Network. And I have a great guest to introduce here in just a moment. Before I do that, I just want to remind everyone listening, if you're listening to this or if you're watching it, um, and if you haven't subscribed, please do subscribe in podcast form on whatever app you're listening on or on YouTube. Um, we're up to almost 7,000 subscribers, but for some reason, our numbers are not anywhere close to that. So make sure to hit that bell on your YouTube if you are watching on YouTube or find us on Rumble. Uh, that channel is growing as well. My guest today is Teresa Moll, and we're going to be talking about wokeness. Um, she has a book coming out called Woke Proof Your Life, and we'll, we'll talk about that and we'll see where else the conversation takes us. So, Teresa, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Great to have you here. And I understand that you, uh, I think you grew up not too far from where I live. I'm, I'm just south of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, and, and you grew up uh, in the Allegheny Mountains of Pennsylvania. So what, what, part, what part of Pennsylvania, what, what part of the Allegheny Mountains was that? Yes, I'm right in the heart of the state in Center County, literally the center of the state. I'm not too far from State College, which is where Penn okay. State is. And basically, our only claim to fame is State College, Penn State. <laughs> if it weren't for that, uh, we would really be the middle of nowhere, which I'm fine with. It's the Pennsylvania wilds. It sounds romantic. It, it's a bunch of hillbillies, and it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where I went to college at at, uh, at Penn State. So I know the area. Oh, okay. Well, I'll actually be in State College this weekend. Uh, my wife and I met at the Arts Festival a long time ago, 2009. So we go back every year uh, for the Arts oh, Fest, wow. which, is a, uh, How fun. which is a fun time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pennsylvania, you spent some time in, in Idaho, right? So what, what took you out to Idaho? Yeah, so I grew up here in this little town, and I was really eager to get out, spread my wings. I um, felt suffocated by the small town. I thought I was too good for this place. I was going to go see the world and um, be successful and famous and all those things. Uh, so I went to school in Dallas, Texas, big city. wasn't wasn't a huge fan of that. Came back to PA for a few months, and then I landed in Washington D.C. I did a few internships there, and. Um, really got disenchanted by the big city. Turns out I'm not a big city girl. I'm not really a city girl at all. So I was looking for my next place to go and I decided I wanted to live somewhere beautiful, somewhere that um, you know I would want to vacation to because why not live in a vacation land? <laughs> so mm -hmm. I applied to a few journalism jobs in places that I wanted to live and I ended up in Idaho in Teton Valley, right on the other side of Jackson Hole. And it's beautiful and lovely and I had a great time, but 
I'm not homesick. My family and my parents are here in central Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and I moved back here and I became re-enchanted, fell in love with my hometown all over again. I was only going to stay here for like a couple months before I decided on my next place. Um, and that was like six years ago. So I'm here to stay. I put down roots and yeah. central Pennsylvania is great, but don't tell anyone because it's a, it's a good secret. <laughs> it is. It, it is pretty great. And people forget about central PA because you have Pittsburgh and Philadelphia on a, on each side. And, uh, you know, people forget there's a middle part there. You know, when, when I tell people when I'm traveling then from Pittsburgh, like, Oh yeah, that's pretty close to Philly. Right. Not really. It's the, no. about six hours away, but yeah, they um, say Pittsburgh's on one side, Philly's on the other, and Kentucky's in the middle. So I'm from the Kentucky part of Pennsylvania, <laughs> exactly. which is a compliment. It's it's not flyover country. It's like drive through country, basically. You go on yeah. I-80, you go through here, but yeah, we like it that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely beautiful country to uh, to drive through. So you've uh, so you said you spent some time in D.C. What, so what was that like going from a, a small town, Pennsylvania? to being in, you know, the, the belly of the beast in uh, Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I was really taken in by it all whenever I first went there because, you know, I was young, impressionable. There's lots of powerful people around. You know, you'd see these people that you'd see on TV just walking around the Capitol and the Supreme Court's there, all these impressive things where the laws are made. Um, so, I was pretty enchanted by it for probably about a year. Um, I made a lot of really valuable connections that I still have. And uh, you wouldn't be, you might not be surprised to learn that the conservative um, social scene, I guess, the conservative world's pretty small and mm -hmm. uh, tight knit in DC, it tends to be because we're pretty outnumbered. So it was, it was pretty easy to make some, some good friends that I still have, but you can feel the corruption there, you know, power corrupts and that's, uh, that's um, very evident <laughs> in DC. Yeah. So it's, it's a neat place to visit. My brother still lives there. So I go down there every now and then, but I try to avoid it. You know, it's, there's a lot of traffic, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of um, crime now, you know, it's getting to be pretty dangerous, but it's an impressive place. There's cool things to see and do, but I can't really be there for more than like 48 hours now. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably a good, it's like going to Vegas. You don't want to stay in Vegas for more than 48 hours. Don't want to be in DC for more than 48 hours. It's a good, good right. time frame, probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so now you're the assistant editor of the Spectator World, which is a, it, or you're also a policy advisor for education at the Heartland Institute and a part-time editor of the Phillipsburg Journal. And I talked about your book that you're, that I think comes out next month, Woke Proof Your Life. So how did you... First of all, wokeness, it's everywhere. You know, us, those of us in the, the freedom, conservative, libertarian movement, I think we noticed it more than anyone else. What inspired you to write a book that is, well, we'll get into what you talk about in the book, but that is focused on, on wokeness? There are a few things. Um, I talk in the book about just noticing so much anxiety and stress and misery and just the way that people treat each other now as opposed to when I was a kid or even opposed to like three years ago, you know, pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like when I was growing up, everybody was pretty patriotic. We had our differences, you know, Democrats, Republicans have been arguing forever, but um, we pretty much, you know, we had more in common than not. And uh, we all wanted the same general things for the country. We all had the same basic Judeo-Christian values and something shifted with the rise of wokeness. Um, 
And I just noticed so many people seem miserable and the way we treat each other is not so much as a neighbor, as a fellow patriot, as a fellow American, that sort of melting pot uh, mentality, but more as Mm -hmm. what can I get from that person? What sets me apart? You know, we're really focused on our differences now and how we can basically use one another um, to, for, for self-service, you know, to serve ourselves. Um, And I really don't like that attitude. I don't like that mindset and Mm -hmm. I don't like what it's doing to our country. So I wanted to get to the bottom of how we got this way and how we cure it. Um, because I want to live in a society that's happier and healthier and holier and just a nicer, you know, more pleasant place. I'm sick of, of the frustration and the anger that seems to be everywhere. And um, so my goal was to diagnose that. And um, something else that happened to me, I bought a bottle of shampoo and I took it home. It was my favorite. It smells delicious. And I looked down and there's a rainbow flag on it. I'm like, really? Can you buy shampoo? Like is nothing sacred, you know, is nothing safe. I'm like, what is, what does this have to do with, um, you know, gay people? So it just, it was, it was several things that all came to a head and I put my finger on it. I was like, it's wokeness. That's what it is. So that's what inspired me to write this book. You know, I, I diagnosed, I guess our, our problem or the, the name of the problem now is wokeness, um, which encompasses a lot of things, but I wanted to dissect it. I wanted to give people um, pointers to make them better able to recognize what the woke weapons are and then to combat them. And then also to, to avoid wokeness, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. always have to punch back. Sometimes you can step out of the way. And I find that that's something that the woke warriors really hate. If you ignore them, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, that, you know, they get, they get really high off of agitating people and making us all upset and angry all the time. And we don't have to be that way. We can stand up for our beliefs and be firm and stand our ground and um, hold our values, but we don't have to be, we don't have to be mad all the time. Yeah. You know, something you talked about at at the beginning there. um, I was visiting some friends last weekend and, you know, sitting around the table, myself, I guess I consider myself a conservative libertarian. I really don't like labels at all anymore. But, um, and, and I would say the other people there, there was a progressive, a moderate, you know, somewhere, somewhere in, in between that area. And um, one of them was talking about that, you know, their son is a big Joe Biden fan. He's a, you know, he's like 10 years old and kids, kids get into, you know, politicians or the president and they have no idea like what any of it means. They can't understand it at that age. I mean, it's crazy that we say they can't understand, you know, who the president is or what the policies are, but yet there's people out there who think that somebody's nine or 10 years old should be able to change their gender. But anyway, maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, but, uh, my friend was saying that she had to have a discussion with her son about like, well, when you're going to this camp you got to make sure that you don't talk about Joe Biden because there's going to be Trump supporters there. And, you know, people, people might get angry with you. There could be a fight. Like, and then we started talking about like, how weird is that? Like everyone at the table recognized it all from different sides of the political spectrum. That is so like not normal compared to like our childhood growing up. Like sure. Like growing up. Yeah. I think when I was a little kid, maybe I liked like George um, HW Bush, you know, the, the older Bush. Um, cause I kind of grew up in that movement. I remember my dad was a fan of him. Like, I can't imagine like my dad giving me that talk saying like, when you go to camp, don't mention George Bush because there could be a Bill Clinton supporter there who like might want to fight you. Like what is even happening right now that our kids even have to think about this stuff? It's, uh, it, it's completely insane. And it has penetrated like every little, uh, nook and cranny, um, 
of our lives. But um, I didn't really have a question with that, but I, I will follow that up with a question now. So when we try to define wokeness, because it seems like it's almost everywhere, like I just talked about, do you have like a, a definition for it on, on what it is or is it too large to define? No, I have a definition in the book. It's basically a socio-political ideology that is characterized by the manipulation of noble goals uh, mm-hmm. that radical left-wing zealots use to control and destroy America. So that's the large, larger definition. But put uh, more succinctly, I would, I've been t- saying that it's basically um, – political correctness on steroids. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. a lot of the concepts we see of wokeness, they have been simmering for years. You know, Um, we had gay marriage, we've had, um, well, we've just seen it overturned, but affirmative action was kind of like diversity, equity, and inclusion. But then I think I really blame COVID and the advent of the isolation crisis and the loneliness and the screen time and people were basically locked at home absorbing all of this propaganda. And uh, I think that's really whenever wokeness took hold and the gloves came off and all of a sudden, like now we're discussing what is a woman? Like we didn't have this three years ago. Um, we've always had problems. We've always had evil. We, we always will, but it's taken on a new radical term. Um, so wokeness, the left likes to say like, oh, you can't even define it. You don't know what it is. Uh, they purposely make it vague. They purposely use these easy breezy terms like diversity, equity, inclusion, environmental, social governance, um, mm-hmm. and, and positive things too, like Black Lives Matter. Like who who's going to argue with that? Of course, Black Lives Matter. But they're really smoke screens for much more sinister goals and objectives. Um, I tell people to look at it says in scriptures of the false prophets, uh, by their fruits, you will know them. So mm-hmm. it might say diversity, economic inclusion, and love is love and, you know, having rainbows and all these parades and things. And it, it might look positive, but look at the fruits, look at our society. You can't even send a kid to camp without giving him a lecture first about talking about politics. It's everywhere. Um, you know, I remember whenever it was rude to considered rude to talk about politics and religion. And now it's, it's all in your shampoo bottle. You know, you can't, you can't go anywhere. It's nearly a sin of omission not to bring up some sort of radical social cause with every single thing you do. You know, you have to have a rainbow flag on your porch. You have to, um, you know, talk about diversity. My local bank, this little tiny family branch bank has DEI stuff on their website, like next to the mortgage applications. I'm like, really? It's everywhere. It is everywhere. Um, but I will let you speak now because I'm ranting. <laughs> no, no, that, that's great. And I, I want to talk more about, you know, diagnosing what, what wokeness is and, 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 you know, what aspects of our lives and how it's affecting us. But I do want to talk about solutions too, because you, you do have some solutions in the book, but um, you did talk about, you know, just now how after COVID more people are anxious, depressed, you know, we have this uh, epidemic of overdoses that, that are occurring. And I think there's a misconception with overdoses that people think those are people that are like trying to commit suicide. Like the vast, vast majority of overdoses are unintentional overdoses. They're, they're not people who are intending um, to, uh, to kill themselves. But w- w- with all of this, this stress that is just, a, it seems like it's inescapable in our lives. And I think like, as you talk about in the book, what plays into it is social media and this addiction to screens, right? So 
my my question is because we we are so you know screens are such a big part of our lives. For example, for me, for my day job, I work remotely. I have to be looking at screens all day. And I'll fully admit I do have an addiction to my phone, which I'm you know, trying to break. But how much you know? How much of this is just of wokeness is just what society like the, the choices we've made as as a society to enable a lifestyle where we are always giving attention to something like how much of it is caused is self-inflicted by the decisions we've made as, as human as human beings yeah i think of it i think a lot of it is our faults um you know i'm guilty of all of these things too i use my phone too much um and I think that we have sort of been lulled into the ease, that luxury of um, doing things instantly, you know, click, click. And two days, one day later, uh, your groceries arrive on your doorstep Mm -hmm. because you have Amazon Prime or whatever it is, you know, you can order from Grubhub, you can do all these things basically instantly. And our lives have become so easy and we've become used to that. Um, And then we have a lot of free time, quote unquote, but for some reason, everybody seems really busy. Um, everyone's always stressed out. I'm like, why are we more stressed out now than whenever we had to like hitch up the mule and pray for rain and like plow the field and pray that like we had enough grain to last us all winter, you know, like I'm sure it was stressful back then, but it seemed almost more controllable because you were dealing with the physical real world and nature and cycles and natural things. Now you're dealing with technology and the world wide web and all these forces that are coming into your world that you can't really control all these internet strangers, all this news that doesn't really affect you. It affects your psyche, but you're just always being scared. You're always on edge. You're always having this, this fear enter your home and your mind. And it really wears you down. It burns you out. Um, So I refer to this as unforced stress in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're familiar with tennis, there's something known as an unforced error, which is basically when your opponent doesn't do anything tricky or skillful, you just mess up on your own. You just hit the ball into the net because you messed up. Um, So I think that's a lot of what we're doing to ourselves. We have allowed these novel inventions, cell phones, um, screen time, streaming services, all these things that can be very good and they're positive and they're beneficial if they're used properly, just like anything. Mm -hmm. But we have to really guard our senses and make sure that we're using these amazing resources as resources and not recourses. Um, You know, we've all been there. We have five minutes to spare standing in line at the post office. We'll whip out our phone. We look at TikTok. We read some woke article, um, because we get a ding in our phone and, you know, CNN alerts us to or whatever it is, you know? Um, So if we're really cognizant of how we're spending our valuable time, we only have so much time on this earth. We all have talents and skills. We all have beautiful people in our lives that we're probably not talking to enough, not paying attention to. We all have neighbors, people we sit next to in a restaurant that we could strike up a conversation with, make Mm -hmm. a new friend, learn something interesting, make their day. You know, we're just we're not very good at using our time. We're filling our time, but are we using it wisely? I don't think so. Uh, not most people and uh, we can all do better. So those are some of the things I outline in the book. I, I really hammer away at technology and how it's really taking mm-hmm. over our lives and consuming us and distracting us from bigger, better things. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, when you talk about getting, getting sucked into your phone and sort of this like, 
this addiction to outrage. And it's not only like just, you know, coming outrage, being outraged at things you see from the left. Like when you see, you know, a gay pride parade with uh, men parading around with their, you know, with their private parts out. When you see something like that, you become outraged, right? Um, but there's also like the outrage that comes from seeing the conservative side of it or libertarian side exposing this for what it is. And it just becomes this, you know, outrage back and forth. And I was having a conversation with a friend earlier on Twitter um, this past week about like, sometimes you do need to even, you know, block some of these accounts like the libs of TikTok who might be doing good things by bringing this like to the forefront. But if you're seeing that like constantly in your feed and it's making you upset because you're seeing it, um, that's that's not serving you. It's it's acting as a as a stressor as you're talking about this like un- unforced stress that you're you're just letting come into your life. So, yeah, I think it's really important to even people who might be doing good things like lives of TikTok might be a good account by exposing these things. It doesn't mean you need to see it all the time if you're already aware right. of it um you're kind of yeah we kind of we kind of get the point like you know the woke playbook you know what they're doing you know they're out there but then i think there is a tendency to um a lot of conservatives and i've seen this with my own friends and family they they get kind of addicted to that high it's like they're mm. going to war every day it's almost like playing a video game but it's like with trolls on the internet or something and you're not you know pray for discernment but sometimes a lot of these people you're not going to change their mind. They're not interested in the truth Mm -hmm. and they don't even believe in it. A lot of the times they're just saying woke talking points because it's going to get them tenure at some liberal university or it's going to get them a pay raise or whatever it's going to do. You know, they're not, they don't actually believe that men can give birth. They don't actually believe that it's fair that a man should be swimming on the girls swim team. You know, they're just saying these things because it gets them notoriety. It gets them to be liked or whatever they need. Um, so that's that's the point I make in the book too, is discerning when to shake the dust from your feet. And, you know, there are a lot of lost souls who are taken in by wokeness. Um, you know, there's a there's been a di- big decline in the number of people who believe in God and who believe in Christianity. And whenever you take that away, the void is filled by something. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. people who are being filled by wokeness and they believe the talking points. They, how can you disagree with love is love? How can you disagree with diversity, equity, and inclusion? They all sound like really positive, good things um, until you, until you pull back the curtain and you see what they actually mean and what they actually do and what their fruits are. So you have to take into consideration if the argument you're having and the rage you're having is to a purpose, if it's effective, and if not, it's just a waste of time and you're just fulfilling some emotional um, outlet for your own for your own self, and, and that's not a good use of time either. <laughs> so, how do you think we should be responding to wokeness? To not, not even not only just responding, but how do you think as individuals and as families and communities? How should we respond, but also help others to to not run into the same issues of, you know, getting these unforced stresses? Mm-hmm. I make the analogy of woke proofness as being waterproof. So I don't want people to think that I'm advocating for sticking our heads in the sand and ignoring it and just acting like it doesn't exist because it does exist. Um, and it's very loud and they're very well funded, but they are still the minority. If you look at statistics and you look at what happened with the Bud Light controversy, the Dodger Stadium thing with Target, 
it seems like every time something radically woke happens in corporate America, they just get destroyed by Americans. We're like, I'm done. I'm done with you. I don't care. Um, so that's, those are really positive signs that the, that we're winning this battle and that truth and sanity is still on our side. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, but back to the waterproof analogy, um, whenever you, have something that's waterproof, like an awesome Gore-Tex jacket or some welly boots that are waterproof or a really great umbrella. It makes it so that you can go out into the storm and you're still in it, but you're mm-hmm. not getting wet, right? So whenever you're woke-proof, you're putting on basically armor of virtue, of truth, of knowledge, of understanding, of peace, first and foremost, of um, trust and hope in God. And mm-hmm. you are armed with all of these things that make it so that wokeness won't make a dent in you. And not only are you personally and spiritually ready to confront wokeness and go live in this woke world and be perfectly fine and protect your family at the same time, but you can spend your time better too, because um, I advocate also for obviously less screen time, but whenever you have more free time, because you're not agitated by all this stuff, you can cultivate hobbies, you can volunteer, you can bring bring back traditions that remind us as Americans what we have in common and what made and still makes our country great. You know, um, go have a backyard picnic and invite over your neighbors, go to the, to, to the church softball game on Sunday and just leave your phone at home and just have a good time enjoying people because what wokeness wants to do is divide us and isolate us. And that's how they conquer us. They make you feel like you're the only one, but that's only really on the internet. As far as I can tell, I mean, there are certain pockets where, uh, you know, certain parts of basically big cities and very liberal places where wokeness is thriving. But for the most part, people aren't that way and they don't want to live that way. And they're getting, they're getting frustrated with it. They're getting, they don't want to fight anymore. So if you go out and live in the real world and um, you realize that, you know, you're not going to go to the local coffee shop and someone's going to say like, oh, I identify as non-binary and I'm a cloud and also, you know, I'm indigenous person of color, whatever. Like, I don't know. I don't really find that that happens. I just find that, you know, you see someone, you smile at them, you strike up a conversation, you have a nice time and we need to get back to that. Like get back to reality, not all all this nonsense that's going on online. Yeah. Get, get back to talking to, to regular people. Like um, we had a 4th of July party this past week at our house and the day before and the third, I was getting arguments on Twitter and I'm like, what am I even doing? And I'm like, I, I cannot wait to just talk to regular human beings in person tomorrow. Yeah. And I mean, we, we need that. And I think being, you know, having this, this, this lockdown period where we were forced to quarantine our house and we couldn't see our friends and family. Um, I think it really, I think people really have some trauma from that, that they like haven't fully gotten back to it because you mm-hmm. need that connection, that human connection in order to deal with everything else we have, uh, have in today's world. And I also think it's interesting, which you, which you talked about. Um, there has been a pull that I've noticed at least from um, people, more people who previously were not Christians did not attend church. I think with the lockdowns and, and with what's happening in the aftermath with the wokeness, I think more people are seeing um, something's going on here and being pulled to the church. Maybe the numbers still are, you know, not where they were 20 years ago, but I do feel like more people are understanding 
you know, this, there's more to this than just the material world that I'm seeing that, that's happening around me. Um, I don't know if you've noticed anything similar in, uh, in your life, but I, I think it is something that's happening. Um, is yeah. that something you have, you have noticed? Yeah, I would say it's kind of a silver lining because, you know, these people can push wokeness all they want. They can push, um, you know, solutions, quote unquote, to people's misery, but nothing is going to replace what has been naturally put in us by a creator who is wise and knows what Mm -hmm. he's doing. You know, there's no substitute for that. There's no substitute for nature and for the rules of, of, of creation. Um, So I think people have been charmed or enticed over to the woke side, but then they get there and they're like, wait, this, I'm not happier. I'm not, you know, I'm free to be me. You know, I'm, I'm getting, transgender surgeries or I'm taking Ozempic instead of just taking a walk in nature or, you know, I'm speaking my truth, but they don't find that that's satisfying because it's not, because it's, it's not the truth and it's not the way that humans were made to operate. What we need to get back to are the things that have sustained us for since, since humans were created and uh, get back to our purpose. We, we, we've forgotten what we were made for, which is to, love God and serve him in this world and be happy with him forever in the next. And that involves, um, you know, serving our neighbors and being good, loving, serving Christians. And uh, if you get off that path, you're, you're not going to be happy, <laughs> even if wokeness 100%. says they have the answer. So I think, yeah, yeah uh, I think people, the more miserable, the more miserable they get, the more they're starting to question like, wait, I've been, I make the analogy in the book of like, free mattress on a on a billboard and people drive by it every day and they like go to the store to get the free mattress and they didn't realize there's like terms and conditions and oh um you know they didn't read the fine print of wokeness which is like oh by the way but you'll also be miserable and um <laughs> you know all these things so yeah uh, famous uh satanist lester crowley said do what thou wilt in so much of our culture today and so many of our you know, musicians and famous celebrities out there are our followers of, of Lester Crowley and they idolize him. And this is what you see come across in our culture. Do, you know, do what you want to, as long as, as long as it feels good, it feels good, do it, but it's empty. Um, you know, cause it, cause it's not the truth. And, uh, mm-hmm. when, you know, when, when the truth is not behind it, um, you're not going to be fulfilled. And that's, and that's ultimately, you know, what we're here on this earth to do, um, mm-hmm. is to, you know, is to follow Jesus Christ. I did want to ask you about, you talked about public schools a little while ago, or maybe something tangentially related to public schools and made me think of public schools. But I, I mean, I, I am kind of kind of torn on this. Um, my wife and I have a daughter, she's eight years old. So going into second grade and last, you know, kindergarten, first grade, she was in our public schools. But, and we do live in a pretty conservative area, but it's getting to the, the point as you get up in grades here, where they're going to start teaching you know, um, teaching anatomy and sex ed and all of that stuff. And are they going to start teaching that, you know, men can be women and women can be men. And at a certain point, I mean, yes, you know, I I grew up going to public schools and, you know, you want to be able to arm your child to have the understanding to navigate that because when they get older, they're still going to deal with that. If they work at a corporation or they own a business, they're going to be dealing with, with people who came up through public schools. And, uh, I spend a lot of time in the libertarian community, and the libertarian answer to this question is, well, just homeschool. 
Um, I'm just really not satisfied with that answer because you still have the rest of the kids going to public school and that's affecting the culture as well. So what are your thoughts on the homeschool public school uh, debate to respond to wokeness? Yeah, I wanted my book to be for anybody in any situation to be able to find some solutions to fight wokeness. So I do have a lengthy section on homeschooling and how various parents in various situations have done it. I have a section on private schools. Um, a, a couple, a family I know, they started their own school because they were dissatisfied with their local school. I have a section mm-hmm. on charter schools, which are technically public schools. They're free. They're they're tuition free. Um, so I have a section on that. And then I also have a section on public schools because sometimes maybe you don't have the option to have any of those other, other um, education choices. So the section on public schools is about educating your child before and after they go to school to be vigilant, to know exactly what they're learning, to look at their books, to work through it with them, kind of to re-educate them, maybe uneducate them a little bit after they've been through the ringer of public school, if they are being exposed to liberal stuff. The, the woman I quote in the book sends her kids to a school, a public school in Seattle, and she's a very conservative mother, very traditional. And I, I can't imagine what her kids are being exposed to, but she assures me that, you know, in, in the advice that she gives in the book is that if you are vigilant, um, you know, your kids are going to be exposed to that are probably being exposed to it on TikTok. Just even if you, mm-hmm. even if you send them to a private school or even if you homeschool them, you know, they're going to encounter it maybe on TV. If you take them to a restaurant, they might see something here or something. So you do your best. Um, I advise parents to consider homeschooling, send them to a private school, to a charter school, something so that at least they're in a more wholesome environment if they can. But if that's not an option, yeah, you can, you can be a vigilant parent. You can have a friend who makes sure that every morning and afternoon when he picks his kids up from school, that what they're listening to as soon as they get in the car is something conservative and something with values um, Mm. so that, you know, whatever happened in those seven or eight hours in between that at least he's, he's filling up the rest of their time and making sure that he's talking to them and making sure that they have a proper understanding of the world. Yeah. Well, I I think, I think we've gotten into the problems of wokeness a lot. Um, I want to talk about some of the solutions that you talk about in the book, because I think some of these are really, um, really practical that anybody could do them. Um, One of them you talk about is, you know, gardening, uh, you know, actually getting outside and how can gardening combat wokeness? Gardening is so great. I think if everybody had a garden in America or in the world, basically all of our problems would go away. <laughs> Obviously that's a simplification, but there's so much good that happens in gardening and it's simple. It's inexpensive. You don't have to have a lot of property. You can even live in a city, go to a community garden. You can even, I don't know, have a few plants on your windowsill, something like that. So what I love about gardening, the, uh, the UK, uh, their National Health Institute, I forget the exact name, but basically their their um, health organization um, of the country. I put out a statement a couple years ago saying that their doctors were overwhelmed by the mental health crisis and they were pleading with doctors to prescribe gardening hmm. to people who came to them. <laughs> so that's how therapeutic, therapeutic it is. Um, 
What I love about gardening is first and foremost, it gets you away from your phone. It gets you away from the screens. It gets you away from the wokeness. Um, so you're not agitated. You, it make it's very peaceful. It distracts you. I'm a big fan of chores and puttering, just doing things with your hands is so, so therapeutic. It makes you more fully alive. I think that's another problem that we have is that, um, as we spoke about at the beginning, our lives are so luxurious and easy now that, you know, you, you have all of your needs taken care of and then some, and then what do you have to do? Oh, you just think about yourself. You think about what more could I have? Oh, maybe, you know, I have all these wonderful things. Uh, my life is pretty great, but I still feel empty inside. Maybe I should try to take my neighbor's stuff, you know? Um, so if you're gardening, you're not, you're not thinking of those things. You're focused mm -hmm. on what's right in front of you. Pretty much any project, especially that gets you outside and uses your hands is so great. You can involve your family. You're producing something. You're growing something. You are being in touch with nature. You're getting exercise, fresh air, sunshine. You, um, it's, it's just, it's so wonderful. And then you have healthy food at the end of the day and you have this great feeling of satisfaction um, because you did something to make yourself more self-sufficient. And the other great thing about being self-sufficient um, is that you are not funding woke corporations. So you're, you're, you get rid of a little bit of that, that woke coercion that we see going on in our shampoo bottles and everywhere else. So there's lots of wokeness at the grocery store, unfortunately, but if you can grow some of your own food, um, it's a great feeling. It's good for the environment. It's good for you. It's good for your soul. Um, it's just, it's the best. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I love gardening and I think it's a great point that you get to see the, the results of what you're doing because I, I do think we have a lack of like people seeing progress in their lives. Like so many of these jobs that people have today working for a corporation where it's just monotonous, same thing every day. You're staring at a computer screen. You're talking to the same people. You're encountering the same problems. It's just like Groundhog Day over and over again. And something as simple as having a garden where you're going to see the seed sprout. You're going to see the plant get bigger. You're going to see little buds come off. You're going to see flowers. You're going to see the the fruit you know, start to grow. Then get bigger and bigger. Then then you get to harvest it and enjoy it. I mean, the whole process is is fantastic. So I'm I'm totally on board with you with gardening. Plus, it's good for your gut health. A lot of people don't know this, but you know, digging around in dirt, um, it's very important for our microbiome and. Um, there is research out there that one of the contributing factors may be to all the allergies kids have today and other autoimmune issues might be linked to the lack of kids playing in dirt since they're on screen so much and not getting outside, getting dirty. So I've um, heard that. Yeah, that everything is so over sanitized now. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny. So many of the of the tips I give in the book, they seem, you know, it's nothing it's nothing like new that I invented, like one weird trick or anything. It's just like, guys, let's get back to this. Remember how good this was for us? And then these scientists do these studies and it like turns out gardening's good for you. And I'm like, well, people have been doing that for like thousands and thousands of years. And now we, all of a sudden we figured out that, oh, what do you know? It has all these benefits. Um, and that's so true of, of many things. You know, I, I cite a study in there that they did a study on uh, the value of tiny interactions. So that little chit chat that you have with the checkout person at the grocery store. Mm. Um, and then you say hi to the person with the cute dog on your walk back to your car. Those little things add up and improve your mental health. And 
it's kind of sad that we have to do these studies, but it's also really fascinating. It's like these things that, that should come naturally, but don't anymore are so good for us. And then by realizing how good they are for you, we're realizing how much we're missing out on and how much we're losing, um, as, as we stop doing them. So, uh, yeah, if we just, we get back to normal life, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) what life was like before we were all so consumed in the woke war all the time, it would really do so much for society. Yeah. That's a great point with the masks, um, you know, talking about, or uh, you didn't say masks. I was thinking of masks. You're talking about small conversations and um, just smiling at someone. And we had that barrier for, you know, what was it like 18 months, two years where we couldn't do that. And kids were growing up in schools where they're, they'll have a mask, their teacher wearing a mask, all their friends were wearing masks and they didn't learn how to, to read, you know, read each other's faces. But yeah, you can change someone's day just by smiling at them. And yeah. it's it's so impactful and so important. And we had the science saying at the time, well, there's no downside to wearing a mask, no downside at all. But mm-hmm. obviously there was. Anybody with the brain could have realized that there was a huge downside to uh, blocking everyone's face from everyone else. But we're going to get to the bonus show. On the bonus show, I want to talk about just just some other things about you so the audience can get to know you better. I also want to talk about, get your opinions on boycotting, on Bud Light, things like that. But before we get to the bonus, can you tell people um, where they can follow you on socials and uh, where and how they can get your book? I actually don't really do social media. Um, I do have a Facebook account for my job, but that's about it. I I don't really, I'm not a big fan of social media. So um, sorry. Uh, (laughs) You guys could, I don't know, email me or write me snail mail. I am a big advocate of that um, in the book. Um, But you can buy my book at sophiainstitute.com. Sophia Institute Press is the publisher. It will also be available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, places like that where you can buy books. But I encourage people to get it from Sophia Institute if you can, because they're definitely not woke. (laughs) Awesome. Teresa, thank you so much for coming on Finding Freedom. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks for tuning in for today's episode with Teresa Mall. Um, really awesome conversation. Really enjoyed getting to speak with Teresa. Think that she brings a unique approach, really, to dealing with this uh, this woke pandemic uh, that we are engulfed by. Um, it is so easy to get totally, um, really obsessed with counteracting um, the onslaught of wokeness, be it via social media or you know what you see on the television on cable news. Um, the approach to actually, instead of trying to respond to everything and trying to consume all the content that is trying to counter it, the response to actually take a step back and step away from it and work on yourself, work on your family, work on your garden I think it's excellent advice, and I hope that people listen to this and take it. If this is your first time listening to this show, uh, please consider subscribing. You can subscribe on any podcasting app, and a good one to to subscribe on is the one you're listening on right now. It's very easy. If you're listening on Apple, um, Apple Podcasts, there's a little plus sign. You just kind of put your finger sideways and and, uh, and hit that button, and uh, we greatly appreciate the support, of course, by subscribing. You'll get my show every Monday, Finding Freedom. Every Wednesday, 
You get Brian McWilliams with Mean Age Daydream. And every Friday, most of the time, we do a show called Memoirs, where it's uh, you know looking at current events, memes, things going on with Brian and I, talking about it in a comedic way, relaxed way to uh, set you on your way into the weekend. And of course, we'd love to have you in our community, the Lions of Liberty Pride. Of course, you can join that by going to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. And next week, I will have another great episode for you with an awesome guest. Really looking forward to you um, hearing that and sharing that with you. So I will see you all next week. Everyone be safe. Have a great week. And always remember to keep your head up. The fires of Liberty burning.